Pastor um, Luke teaching on Wednesday and Pastor Adam next Sunday. And then um, Tanner will be returning on Wednesday the 19th. So praise God. Pray for him and his family. But uh, I want to introduce from Jews for Jesus, it's Isaac Brickner. He's going to be presenting the Passover and Christ in the Passover. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thank you so much. Shalom. All right. We're going to try that one more time. I thought, you know, 10, 1030, 1045, 11, you might be a little bit more awake by now, but maybe not. Okay, let's try this again. Shalom. Okay, just so you know, that's how a good Jewish boy feels at home when he hears a hearty shalom back. All right, here you go. So, yeah, my name's Isaac. I work with an organization called Jews for Jesus uh, in Los Angeles. Now, sometimes I, I tell people that that's what I do for a living, and they look at me like some of you are looking at me right now. <laughs> kind of like, what? <laughs> Jews for Jesus kind of sounds like you're saying vegans for bacon, right? <laughs> Maybe for some of you. Uh, maybe not. Most of you probably know better that Jesus was Jewish, and so were all of his disciples, right? Peter, James, John, you name it. They were Jewish. And all of the writers of the New Testament, with the possible exception of Luke, were Jewish as well. And we know that Luke was a doctor, so who knows? Maybe he was Jewish too. I don't know if you know that fact. There are a lot of Jewish doctors, right? And so when you're growing up in a Jewish home, there are like three jobs available for you when you grow up, and that's doctor lawyer or failure. So uh, you can see where I ended up on that list. But, oh, come on. <laughs> but, you know, growing up, or back in the first century, actually, believing in Jesus was a very Jewish thing to do. So we know, and from the book of Acts, the first time that a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, wanted to believe in the Messiah of Israel, oi, <laughs> we had some problems, if you can remember, Acts chapter 10, God gave the apostle Peter three visions before he finally, whoa, before he finally got up enough chutzpah, as we say, or nerve, to go and see this guy Cornelius and tell him the gospel, that Jesus was the Messiah. And there was so much, you know, controversy and uproar over this thing in the early church that we had to hold the first church council, which you can read about in Acts chapter 15. The subject of this council in Jerusalem was, what are we going to do with all these Gentiles for Jesus? But we found out that it was all part of God's plan all along. From the very beginning, from before the foundation of the world, the Messiah would come. The Lamb was slain from before the foundation of the world. The gospel would be preached to all nations through the nation of Israel and ultimately through the Messiah of Israel. The gospel is not God's plan B when Israel decided to disobey. Christianity is not some new religion that was invented because God couldn't hold up his promises with the other religion. Absolutely not. We see in Jesus that the promises of God are yes and amen. All of the promises in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, were fulfilled and are continuing to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. God's grand tapestry of redemption is seen most clearly in the common thread of the Passover celebration. And so that is what we're going to be looking at this morning. A commemorative meal, a Passover celebration, the most elaborate feast on the Jewish calendar. But it's really my hope that you'll see it as more than just an, 
you know, a meal that Jewish people celebrate, but that you'll see it as an object lesson of the life and the mission of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen? All right, because we know that Jesus fulfilled all of the promises in the Old Testament that were pointing to him, and Passover is no exception. So we're going to set the stage for our celebration of Passover this morning with Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper in the upper room, which was a Passover celebration. We don't always think of that, but it's true. So if you have your Bible, please open to Luke chapter 22. We're going to read that together. We're going to start in verse 7. Now, some of you may know, I was actually supposed to be here several months ago, but uh, I don't know if you remember, I couldn't make it up the mountain <laughs> because there was a snow a tire check for snow chains, and I didn't make the cut. I called Pastor Tanner on the 210 coming out here saying, is this going to be a problem? He goes, oh, <laughs> yeah, I understand he's from Florida, so that makes sense why he wouldn't have thought of that, but... I'm blessed to be with you here this morning. I'm really thankful. First service was a lot of fun, and you guys look like a lot more fun than them. So uh, just kidding. Just don't tell them I said that. But anyway, we're going to look at Luke chapter 22. We're going to set the stage for celebrating the Passover together. 22 verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go, and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. So this first night of Passover actually begins a seven-day holiday on the Jewish calendar called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And there's a lot of preparation that goes into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. During this time in Jewish homes, we don't eat anything that contains leaven or yeast. And this is because in Scripture, leaven is frequently referred to as a symbol for sin. You know, if you've made like a loaf of bread before, it only takes a little bit of yeast or leavening for the dough to what? Rise and become puffed up in the same way that sin causes us to become puffed up in our own eyes, right? We call it pride, and it just takes a little bit. So during this time, we don't eat leaven as a way of saying we want to break the cycle of sin in our lives. So that means in more observant or more orthodox Jewish homes, for six weeks prior to the Passover, the house will go through a whole kind of spring cleaning. And we remove all of the stuff that has leaven in it. That means cake, cookies, bread, anything delicious that you can think of, it has to go, right? Hostess Twinkies, out of there, right? But you shouldn't be eating those anyway, right? Not going to judge you if you do, though. God will judge you. I just won't judge you. Um, anyway, it's, uh, it's usually in Jewish homes and more Orthodox Jewish homes, it's the work of mom. The woman of the house is the one who's cleaning and getting the house ready 
for the Passover. But if you noticed in the text that we just read, Jesus sent Peter and John, two men, to prepare their house for the Passover. And this could be because in Jewish tradition, the man stands before God in terms of the preparation, the ceremonial readiness of the family. So if you think of that, doesn't, doesn't that mean the man should be cleaning for these six weeks before Passover? Amen. I heard amen. That's great. So there's a very uh, kind of interesting tradition that gets the men out of this terrible predicament. And it's called Bedikat Chametz. Can we say that together? Let's try it. No. Bedikat Chametz. Ready? Bedikat Chametz. Okay, now just don't look at the person next to you when you say that second word. Just looking out for you, all right? Bedikat Chametz means the search for leaven. Okay? So this is the tradition. You have to imagine this scene. The house is spotless the night before Passover. When the head of household, the household comes home, the house has been cleaned, it's immaculate, his wife has done such a great job. And she's taken all of the leaven out of the house, except for some crumbs. And she's hidden these crumbs somewhere in the house, and it's up to the man to find these crumbs. So he takes up some interesting looking cleaning devices, a napkin, a wooden spoon, and a feather, and he goes on the bedikat chametz, the search for leaven, all right? So these crumbs could be anywhere in the house, but if his wife has been good to him, she hid them exactly where she did the year before, right? And so on and so forth. And so he'll find the crumbs maybe in the basement or behind the fridge or something, and he'll sweep them into the spoon with the feather. Guys, don't we wish all cleaning was this easy, right? Come on. Okay, so he wraps them in the napkin, because they represent sin, so he doesn't touch it with his hands, right? So he takes it down to a bonfire in the courtyard of the synagogue where all of the other men have gathered, and each one will throw their bundle of sin into the flames. And if you don't live near a synagogue, you can toss it. And uh, then he'll return to his house where he'll proudly proclaim, now I have purged my house of all leaven. And his wife is standing there going, Sure you did, buddy. <laughs> sure you did. But, okay, so he did it, and it's ceremonially been prepared for Passover. And it's the same man, the head of the household, who leads his family through the Passover celebration. Because unlike other Jewish festivals and feasts and celebrations where they're done in the synagogue, Passover is one that's done in the home with the family. So the head of the household will guide his family, and he'll wear traditional garments one is a white robe called a kittle because in Jewish tradition, white is the color of the priesthood. And whereas you know, Jewish men will often cover their heads as a sign of respect before God, God is above us. You've seen Jewish men wear a yarmulke or a kippah, it's called in Hebrew. Tonight, the head of the household wears a more elaborate head covering called a mitre, which is the symbol of a crown because the head of the household is both priest and king as he leads his family through the Passover Seder. Now, Seder is the word for the Passover celebration, and it means order, because the Passover follows a very ancient order of service, which is recorded for us in this book called a Haggadah. Haggadah means the telling, because it tells the story of Passover, and this is the one I grew up using 
So sadly, I didn't bring one for all of you this morning, but you should have received one of these pamphlets when you walked in, which is going to help us walk through the celebration together. And if you didn't, if you could raise your hand right now, uh, and we'll get an usher to bring one to you. If you don't have one, also with one of the cards. Okay, you've got one over here. And anyone else? Good. One over here. Excellent. So, everything has been really well prepared for us to celebrate the Passover together. And there's a traditional greeting that you're supposed to announce to the neighborhood once your table has been set and prepared for the Passover. You open your front door and you say, let all who are hungry come and eat. And you might want to just whisper that one, depending on how much food you've prepared. And the same is true this morning. We don't actually have a great meal prepared for you, maybe spiritually, (laughs) but I hope you made good lunch plans because this is not going to feed you all. But just the same, we're going to celebrate Passover together. And Passover begins with the lighting of the candles, as most Jewish festivals do. And this is the honor of the woman of the house. And the woman of my house back in Los Angeles said, I could do it for you. So I hope you don't mind. But I'm going to do it in Hebrew. And then in your handout, there's a place where it says over the candles. So then we'll read it together in English after I do it. (laughs) All right. Let's see if the fans blow it out. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kedshanu B'Mitzvotav V'Tzivanu L'Hadlik Ner Shel Yom Tov Amen Now, together in English. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us to kindle the festival lights. Amen. So, now the Seder has begun. And we remember at this time, in my home at least, in Messianic or Jewish believing homes, that it was through the seed of a woman that the light of the world would come. Back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us, who is a light to the Gentiles. So in Jewish homes who believe in Jesus, that is what we remember when we light the candles. And Passover is the most elaborate Jewish festival on the calendar, as I said before. So whereas most Jewish feasts might take just one or two hours or something like that, Passover can take up to a total of four hours. So I hope you cleared your schedules, all right? No, just kidding. Kids will be out of here a lot sooner than that, don't worry. But during that time, each adult will drink from their cup and refill it four times. And there's a name for each time that we drink out of the cup. The first cup is called Kiddush, which means sanctification. Then comes the cup of plagues. And then the third cup is called the cup of redemption. And this is the, whole, the climax of the whole celebration. And then lastly is the cup of Hallel, which means praise. But with the first cup, the Kiddush cup, the head of the household will raise it and offer a blessing to sanctify or set apart the rest of the evening. So he'll say, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Amen. Now let's read together where it says, 
over the cup. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. Amen. So now the service has been set apart, it's been sanctified, and the tradition is for the youngest person at the table to stand up, to come forward to the head of the household, and to ask the traditional meaning of the Passover. And the way that they do this is by asking four questions, which are found in the Haggadah, and they're also in your handout, but they're usually chanted in Hebrew. And the first one sounds like this. You can all tell that I've had to do that before. <laughs> because even though I wasn't the youngest in my family, my sister got out of it every year. I don't know how she did that. She's much smarter than I am. But, you know, it's a little nerve-wracking. You have to stand up and you, you know, say this Hebrew blessing in front of everybody and everyone's looking at you. So I'm going to ask for the youngest person today who can read to uh, stand up and read that first question for us in English nice and loud. Any brave souls who would like to uh, stand up and volunteer to, ra- to read the question? Come on. Come on. Right there. Do I have to call an old person to read it? What is this? Come on. You can do it. Come on. Okay, go for it, man. It's uh, this first question right here. All right. Let's give him a hand. So... Now you know my pain. Okay, so we ask these questions to walk us through the story of Passover. Because if you remember from the book of Exodus and also Deuteronomy, the whole point of the Passover celebration is for the next generation of Israelites who did not experience the redemption from bondage and slavery in Egypt. It says, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of all of this stuff? You tell them the story of the Passover. So those of us who are sitting at the the table at Passover are obligated to respond to the child's question, why is this night different from all other nights? By telling the story of Passover. We say, this is because of what the Lord did for me when he brought me out of Egypt, when he redeemed me with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Because redemption is the heart of, of Passover. And it communicates for us more than just the message of God's redemption, but also the mechanism of God's redemption. And that was the blood of the Passover lamb. If you remember, my ancestors living in Egypt were instructed to take a spotless lamb, to roast it whole without breaking any of its bones, and then apply the blood of this lamb to the doorposts of their homes in Egypt, the top of the doorpost and the two side posts. And because of their faith in God and their faith in the effectiveness of the provision of this lamb, they were spared the wrath of the tenth plague that fell on the land of Egypt, the death of the firstborn. Because when God saw the blood upon their door, death was forced to pass over, right? It's where we get the name 
Passover. In Hebrew, it's Pesach. Let's say that together. Pesach. All right, you're getting a little better with the ch. We'll keep practicing, though. Pesach is this holiday that commemorates the time that death passed over the houses of Israel in the land of Egypt. Why? Because of the blood of the Lamb which is a mighty act of redemption in and of itself, but it's a picture for us of an even greater act of redemption through the blood of another Passover lamb, Messiah Jesus. Just as none of the bones of that first Passover lamb in Egypt were to be broken, we know that none of Jesus' bones were broken in his death on the cross for us. And just as my ancestors in Egypt had to apply the blood of that lamb to the doorposts of their homes in Egypt, each one of us today must apply the blood of Messiah to the doorposts of our hearts. Amen? Amen. All right, so we've told the story of Passover. Redemption through the blood of the lamb. And we can move on to the second part of that first question that was read for us, which is, why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread, or matzah, as it's called? So one of the items on the Passover table is this. It's called a matzah tash. And it contains three layers of matzah, of unleavened bread, separated by cloth. And so the head of the household will remove the middle of the three layers at this time and hold it up for everyone to see and say, this is the bread of affliction which our forefathers ate in the land of Egypt. And he doesn't call it the bread of affliction because it's not tasty, It absolutely is tasty, but not after seven days of eating it. So just so you know, you have to eat it for seven days. It's called the bread of affliction because we had to take it with us out of Egypt in a hurry while it was still flat. We didn't have time to let it rise because we were being chased by the Egyptians. So it's a commemorative commemoration of that time. So the head of the household will raise it and bless it. Baruch Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Let's read together where it says, Over the bread. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Amen. So then he breaks it in two. One half gets set aside, and the other half gets a special name, which is Afikomen. Can we say that together? Afikomen. Good. And that's actually not Hebrew. It's Greek. And it means that which comes later or he who comes later and that's precisely what happens right now we put this afikomen in a linen pouch and it's hidden from everyone at the table buried if you will and no one at the table is supposed to know where the afikomen has been hidden because later all of the kids go looking for it and whoever finds it gets a reward so is there anyone under the age 13 13 and under here today okay So what I'd like for you to do is close your eyes, all right? No peeking. Trust me, you're going to want to close your eyes. Uh, Parents, please make sure your kids aren't peeking. It's for their benefit, trust me. Okay, so we're going to hide this somewhere that they don't know. Ha, ha, ha. 
All right, you can open your eyes. All right, if you didn't peek, later I'll ask you to stand up and go look for it, and whoever finds it gets a prize. And if you never find it, then we never get to leave this room. <laughs> Little incentive there, just kidding. So, the Afikomen has been hidden. Now we can move to the second and third of four questions that the child reads for us, but let's read these all together. On all other nights, we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? On all other nights, we are not required to dip the herbs once. Why on this night do we dip them twice? Interesting questions, right? You can see all of this stuff in front of me and this Seder plate, which is not used for deviled eggs, just so you know. <laughs> but as you can see from your handout, a piece of symbolic food is placed in each one of the compartments on this plate because each piece of food helps tell more of the story of Passover. Passover is a story that we remember with all of our senses. So all of these foods that we dip and some that we don't help tell more of the story. The first one is called carpus, which means greens. We usually use parsley or lettuce. And the greens represent life. But before we eat them, we dip them in salt water, which represents tears. So by dipping, we're remembering that a life without redemption is a life immersed in tears. All right? That's the carpus. Second, we have what is called the chazeret. Together, chazeret. Very nice. You're getting better. So chazeret is the root of a bitter herb. And we usually use an onion or sometimes a horseradish root. Thankfully, we don't have to eat this one. Um, but it's just there symbolically to remind us that the root of life itself, for our ancestors living in Egypt who were in slavery, was very bitter. Next, we have that bitter herb. Oh, excuse me. We have that bitter herb itself, all freshly ground up for us, called maror, which is freshly ground horseradish. Now, at Passover, we're supposed to eat an entire teaspoon of horseradish, which I'm not going to do right now. <laughs> If some of you would like to try it later, you're more than welcome to, because you know what happens when you eat a teaspoon of horseradish, right? You cry, you shed some tears, and you have very little choice in this matter because it's like this versus your sinuses, and this wins every time, trust me. It's like Jewish wasabi. So uh, when you eat this, you're actually supposed to shed a few tears because you're reminded of the slavery of our ancestors in Egypt. And again, we're empathizing with their suffering. When you do a commandment right in the Jewish community, it's called a mitzvah. So we say that it's like a mitzvah to shed some tears, all right? So thankfully, right after that, we have what's called charoset, together, charoset. And this is, by contrast, a very delicious, sweet mixture of apples, cinnamon, honey, raisins, nuts, and sweet wine. It's delicious. It's like the best thing to eat at Passover. And the rabbis say that it reminds us of the mortar that our ancestors would use to make bricks for Pharaoh in Egypt. But it's sweet because it's reminding us of the promise of redemption that was to come. So we're moving from bitterness to sweetness, from slavery to redemption. 
Now remember, we set the stage for our celebration this morning with Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper in the upper room, which was Passover. So all of the things that we just went through together were also a part of Jesus and his disciples' Passover celebration. We know that these traditions dated to at least that time in the first century. But the last two items on the Seder plate in every Jewish home today were not present with Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. And I think you'll see why as we talk about them. This is called the Chagiga, together. Chagiga, very nice. Which is not the Hebrew word for egg. It is the Hebrew word for sacrifice. Because this egg is there to remind us of the sacrifices which were offered in the temple in Jerusalem. So we roast the egg, which turns it brown, just like the temple sacrifices were roasted, but then we break it and we give it to each person to eat because it's reminding us of the destruction of that temple in Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD. So it's a token of grief for our Jewish people. So we break it and we slice it and we give it to each person at the table and then we dip it in the salt water, which represents tears. Just checking. Okay. You guys are with me. Great. So you dip the, the egg, the chagiga, in the salt water as a token of grief over the destruction of the second temple in Jerusalem. And likewise, the last item on the Passover, or the Seder plate rather, is called the zroa, which is the shank bone of a lamb. Because we know lamb is a part of the Passover festival, and yet in most Jewish homes today, lamb is no longer served as a part of the Passover celebration. And this is because the lamb that used to be eaten at Passover is the one that would have been sacrificed in the temple in Jerusalem. But what did we say? In 70 AD, that temple, along with the altar where the sacrifices were performed, was destroyed. So from that time to this day, no lamb is eaten at Passover because no sacrifices are made. Instead, we have this shank bone, like the egg, the chagiga, to remind us of those sacrifices which are no longer made. Now, the presence of these two items on the Passover table raises a very important question for my Jewish people. Every year at Passover, one that goes largely unanswered, and it is this. Without a temple, without an altar, without sacrifices to perform, how are we to atone for sin? The law of Moses, the Torah, it says very clearly in the book of Leviticus what this is all about. God says, I've given you the altar to make atonement for your sin because it is the blood by reason of life that makes atonement. So in other words, There is no sin that can be forgiven without the shedding of blood. Now, maybe some of you are thinking something that my Jewish people think today, which is, so what? (laughs) Right? Maybe all of this stuff about goats and lambs and altars and blood and stuff like that, that's so 2,000 years ago, that has no relevance for my life today, right? No. (laughs) The answer is no. I think we see why it's so important Every year at Passover, when we're told by the Haggadah to celebrate the Passover so personally that it's as if each one of us were being brought out of slavery in Egypt. And I think 
that this bears witness to something else that is very true. Not that each one of us needs to be brought out of slavery in Egypt, but each one of us does need to be redeemed from bondage and slavery to sin. The the Apostle Paul says on this matter, those who sin are slaves to sin. So that means you can be a slave and you do not even know it. Whether physically or spiritually, sin enslaves us and we know that we cannot be forgiven for sin without the shedding of blood. So this is a tremendous problem. One that was answered for us 2,000 years ago by a man named Yochanan, who we know as John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist one day is baptizing people in the Jordan River, and he looks and he sees another Jewish man coming named Yeshua, or Jesus, and when he sees him, a light goes on, and he goes, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? That's how true atonement happens, not through the sacrifices offered year after year. The blood of lambs and bulls and goats are not effective to take away sins, the author of Hebrews says. The once and for all sacrifice of the Lamb of God took away the sins not just of the people of Israel, but was effective enough for the world. And through his sacrifice, we can be forgiven. Amen? All right. Now we can move to the fourth and final question. Let's read that together. On all other nights we eat sitting upright or reclining. Why on this night do we recline? So you can see these pillows here to my right and to my left. These represent that at Passover, we're supposed to eat this meal relaxed and reclining on pillows, specifically because when we were slaves in Egypt, we had to stand to wait on our masters. In the ancient Near East, Slaves were required to stand while their masters dined. But as freed people, we can eat this meal relaxed. Because if you remember, the Israelites were asked to eat that first Passover meal with their belts fastened, their sandals on their feet, and their staves in their hands, ready to go at a moment's notice because Pharaoh was going to chase them out of there. But today, when we eat Passover, we eat it relaxed and reclined, celebrating the redemption that God has given us. Which leads us to our second of four cups, right? We said there were four cups. The second one is called the cup of plagues, okay? This is an interesting cup because we don't drink from it. Instead, we take our finger and we dip ten times in the cup and let ten drops fall to our plate to remember the ten plagues that were poured out on the land of Egypt. And we're not doing this to celebrate the plagues. We're actually doing it to mourn the loss that the Egyptians faced because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, right? Pharaoh repeatedly was told what? Let my people go. And he repeatedly said, no, I refuse, I will not. The more his heart was hardened, the more drastic plagues were poured out on the Egyptians. And we actually know that all of these plagues were judgment on the false gods of Egypt. So that when when Israel left the land of Egypt, they were actually, they, they came with them a mixed multitude of Egyptians who had seen this judgment on their false gods. And they said, those aren't real gods. Their God is a real God. And so they left with Israel. So we remember that when we 
celebrate the cup of plagues and we mourn the fact that the Egyptians had to go through something like that. But today we celebrate the redemption that we have been offered through Messiah Jesus who brought, brings us not just out of slavery and bondage physically but also spiritually. So this is traditionally the time when we would break for the meal in the middle of the Passover celebration. But as I said, we don't have a great meal for you this morning. But I would like to lead you in a song that we traditionally sing before the meal is served, which is called Dayenu. Now, the words aren't going to be on the screen, but I have perfect faith that you'll at least be able to get the chorus. All right? Because the chorus goes, Dai Dayenu, Dai Dayenu, Dai Dayenu, Dayenu, Dayenu. You think you can handle that? I think so. So we'll do that together, and I'll, I'll lead us in a verse, and then we'll go back to the chorus. Um, and, oh, also you have to clap, because that's like a rule in Jewish songs. Okay, so here we go. Ready? Ilu hotzi hotzi anu hotzi anu mi mitzrayim hotzi anu mi mitzrayim dayenu. Here we go. Dai dayenu, dai dayenu, dai dayenu, 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 dai dayenu, dai dayenu, dai dayenu, dayenu, dayenu. Hey, yes, that was great. Give yourselves a hand. Come on. Yes. All right. That's the other rule in Jewish songs that they all, they all end in hay, okay? So you remember the clapping with the hay at the end. Don't worry. You'll be comfortable in any Jewish home during Passover, okay? But since we don't have a great meal, I actually do want to direct your attention to something that was handed out with your pamphlet, and it's this little card right here. And this is for you to fill out if you want to be in touch with the ministry of Jews for Jesus, who I work for. And basically what we do is we reach out to our Jewish people with the gospel of Jesus. As Jewish people who have come to meet Jesus and have understood that he's the Messiah and received him, we want and we feel burdened to reach our people with that message. Our mission statement is that we exist to make the Messiahship of Jesus an unavoidable issue for our Jewish people worldwide. Now, why would we say it so confrontationally like that? Well, if you haven't noticed, Jewish people are pretty good at avoiding the issue of Jesus, the Messiah. How many of you have somebody in your life, friend, neighbor, relative, whatever, coworker, who is Jewish? All right? That's a good number of people. Okay. How many of you have ever tried to share about Jesus with your friend or coworker, etc.? Okay. Less. Now, how many of you thought that went really well? One person. Awesome. That's so great to hear. Do not be discouraged, okay? So, whereas we exist as Jews for Jesus in about 14 different countries worldwide, and I live and work here in Los Angeles where it's the third highest population of Jewish people in the world, you live right next door or work right next to or are related to a person who is Jewish who I will never have contact with. And that means that God has put you in their life for a reason. So I would love for you to tear off the smaller portion of this card. And there's a little line on the back of it that says, I especially want to remember to pray for 
please put the name of that Jewish person there and then remember to pray for them and see what God does. First service, there was someone who came up to me and she said, my dad is Jewish. Maybe many of you know maybe who I'm talking about. And they're estranged now and she found it hard praying for him because they have no contact anymore. So I prayed for her and I cannot wait to see what God does in his life because we know that it is only God who can change hearts. Amen? So I want to tell you a brief story that illustrates a little bit more about what we do in Jews for Jesus. So I live and work uh, in West LA, right across the street from UCLA, which back in the day they called Juicy LA because of how many Jewish people were there. The population in the world of Jewish people goes... Uh, New York City, Tel Aviv, Los Angeles, Jerusalem, okay? So that's what we're dealing with, about 750,000 Jewish people in the greater LA area. And so we live right across the street from UCLA, and I was working just a couple weeks ago in my office. I came back from my lunch break, and our administrative assistant was talking to this guy named Joseph, who had just walked in. And she was talking and he had said, yeah, I just visited church for the first time last week. I didn't like it so much. (laughs) So come to find out, Joseph is Jewish. He was raised by his Jewish father and his Swedish mother. And later in his father's life, his dad converted to Catholicism. So this guy, Joseph, who grew up going to Hebrew school, is very confused. (laughs) So we started talking and I shared the gospel with him and he's so open We've been meeting every week for the past like two to three weeks, and I believe that Joseph is this close to coming to receive Jesus as the Messiah because God is doing a work in his heart. So I'd love to be able to keep you up to date on Joseph's story and love for you to be able to read and pray with us about other stories of Jewish people. So if you fill out this card and you give it to me after service, you'll get our free monthly newsletter, and I'll also give you a free booklet called Questions and Answers from Jews for Jesus, which is either something that you can give to somebody in your life who's Jewish, who you're trying to minister to, or it's for you to help to have some kind of a primer on how to talk to them about some of the issues that they might bring up about Jesus and the gospel. So I share that with you. Also, if you'd like to to make a donation to Jews for Jesus today, to the work that we do, uh, and you want to indicate that you did so here, We'll send you a tax-deductible receipt, and we'll send you a thank you as well. So don't forget to fill this out if you choose to make a donation so I can personally thank you. Oh, and yes, there's my family, and uh, I have some postcards with that picture on a table in the back where I'll be after the service if you'd like to talk um, and have something that you can pray for us with. So I also have uh, some free stuff that'll give you more info on Jews for Jesus, and I have some not-so-free stuff That will uh, kind of inform you more about the Passover and any other questions that you might have about Jewish people and the gospel. So please come to the table afterwards and just say hey, and I'll show you some of that stuff. But we need to conclude our Passover celebration, right? And we come now to the third cup, which is called the cup of redemption. But before we can finish, something is missing, right? Earlier, something was broken, buried, and now it needs to be brought back. Does anyone remember what it's called? Starts with an A. Afikomen. Nice. 
Someone was paying attention. Thank you. (laughs) Just kidding. So if you closed your eyes and did not peek earlier, now you can get up. Go ahead. Now have at it. All right. Someone's very warm. All right. Let's give her a hand. Come here. What's your name? What's your name? Elena. Elena. Congratulations. You promise you didn't peek? Right. Nice. <laughs> all right. So come up to me after the tab- at the table afterwards and I'll give you a prize. All right. Let's give her a hand. All right. So I mentioned first service that I never found this when I was growing up, even though I had like 13 opportunities and I'm still bitter about it today. So those of you who did not find it, fear not. You still have time. Okay. Don't worry. And also we have a book that if you'd like to celebrate Passover in your home, there's a, a guide for how to do that back there so that your kids can find the afikoman. Okay, so the afikoman is brought back to the head of the household and it's redeemed for a price and it's shown to everyone at the table and then we break it again into smaller pieces about the size of an olive and each olive-sized piece is taken with the third cup, the cup of redemption. Now this should look familiar, right? Okay. This is the origin of the Lord's Supper. It's at this point in the Passover celebration that Jesus took these very two elements of the Passover and he interpreted them in light of himself and his ministry. He took the broken piece of afikomen and he said, this is my body, right? So let's consider that together. The afikomen, which was broken, buried, and brought back, the matzah itself, which is unleavened, a sign of sinless nature. And the rabbis say that if the matzah is to be suitable for use at Passover, it also must be pierced, just as Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He didn't call it his body for nothing, right? But do you remember where this afikomen came from? This matzatash, right? This weird pouch that contains three layers of unleavened bread. Now, there's a lot of debate in the Jewish community about what this thing means. They argue, and they, one interpretation is, well, we all argue in the Jewish community. One, you say you have Jew, two Jews, you have five opinions. But anyway, <laughs> some say that the three layers represent the three patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right. So the question is, why was the middle one broken, buried, and brought back? So others will say that it represents the three divisions of worship in the kingdom, which were the priests, the Levites, and the people of Israel. Same question, right? Why was the middle one broken, buried, and brought back? So the origin of this tradition in the Jewish community has been lost, which is why there are even more explanations that I didn't mention. But we do know one explanation that I think fits the bill. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. He said, this is my body, right? The broken piece of afikomen came from the matzatash, which is a three-in-one, just like God himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That middle piece of matzah was broken, buried, and brought back, just like Jesus was broken, 
buried and brought back. And he took this piece and he said, this is my body which is broken for you and for me and for all of us. So when we take this, we do it in remembrance of that sacrifice. And he took that third cup, the cup of redemption, the cup taken after the meal, and he raised it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And he was saying that he wasn't inventing a new tradition, some new sacrificial rite. He was talking about the prophecy that Jeremiah had made hundreds of years before. Jeremiah said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah, not like the covenant I made with them when I brought them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. But this is the covenant I will make with them in those days. I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and I will remember their sins no more. The rabbis tell us that the broken afikomen and the cup of redemption tell us about the body and the blood of the Passover lamb, which was broken and shed to bring us out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. But for us, this broken piece of afikomen and the cup of redemption speak of the body and the blood of our Passover lamb of God whose blood was shed to bring us out of bondage and slavery to sin. Amen? So when we do this, we do it in remembrance of him. And we move quickly to the fourth cup, which is called the cup of Hallel, which means praise. So when we recite, when we drink this cup, we recite what is known as the great Hallel, because we're celebrating the redemption we've experienced, and we sing Hallelujah. And in the book of Psalms, Psalms 113 through 118 is known as the great Hallel. So we're not going to recite all of those today for sake of time. But when Jesus and his disciples finished their Passover, they left that upper room singing hymns, departing for the Mount of Olives. So these would have been the hymns that they were singing. And that last one, Psalm 118, ends with the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Moments before Jesus was betrayed and sent to the cross for our sins. So those are all of the cups. And yet there's one more cup here that's been sitting here that's not a part of those. That is how we conclude all of our Passover seders. And this is called the cup of Elijah. So in Jewish homes, Every table is set with a place open for the prophet Elijah, Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. Because in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, it says that before Messiah comes, he will be preceded by the coming of Elijah the prophet. So we're waiting for this guy Elijah to come and to announce that Messiah is coming. So at this point in the Seder, we fill the cup of Elijah And the youngest person runs to the front door and opens it to see if Elijah will be there to announce that Messiah is coming. Of course, he's never there, which is why my Jewish people are still waiting for the Messiah to come. And so when the cup is poured and when the door is open for Elijah, we sing a song called Eliyahu Hanavi, which I'll sing for you because it's very brief. And I think it illustrates exactly why I do what I do, which is that my Jewish people don't understand or do not accept that he has already come. So here's the song. Eliyahu Hanavi, 
Eliyahu Hatishbi Eliyahu 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 Agiladi Bimhera Beyamenu Yavo Alenu Imashiach Ben David Imashiach Ben David This means Elijah the prophet, Elijah, the Tishbite, Elijah from Gilead. May he come quickly in our days with Messiah, son of David. So my Jewish people don't accept that Messiah has come, but also don't accept that Elijah himself has already come as well. If you remember the man who declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God, Jesus said of him, of John the Baptist, for those of you who care to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. So John the Baptist fulfilled that role of Elijah who came to announce that Messiah was on his way. So we know that the prophet who was the forerunner of the Messiah has come, and so has Messiah himself. Jesus is our Passover Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, both Jew and Gentile alike. And that is how we celebrate Christ in the Passover. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you because you declare the end from the beginning. And what that means is that, Lord, your plan of redemption, your plan to save us was not an afterthought. But every piece of tradition, every ritual, Lord, Every promise that you made in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament was fulfilled and is being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And for him, we thank you. And Jesus, we thank you that you died, Lord, and that you were considering that it was for us that you were dying. Lord, you knew that it was for the joy set before you. That was us. We're thankful. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us to be empowered to do the things that you're calling us to do, which may mean reaching out to that Jewish person in our lives who doesn't know you. It might mean praying for them. It might mean reaching out to our neighbor who doesn't know you. Lord, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts so that we could understand and be grateful for the gospel in such a way that it overflows from our lives so that other people can't help but be drawn to Jesus. We pray that you would do this for your glory and for our good. Hashem Yeshua, in the name of Jesus. Amen.